bringing you all the buzz on sports in the Beehive State. It's the Hive Sports Podcast. Jazz, college football, bees, we got them all. So listen up, because we, 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 we got the buzz. Turn down the buzz! How are you guys doing today? Not too bad. <laughs> another day in paradise. Yeah, another day in quarantine. Woo! Oh, yeah, that's true. I I feel you there. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to kind of get to know you guys a little more and, and the Utes. Um, I've, I've, I've covered the Utes, but I've, um, so far our podcast has been mostly Utah State and BYU, so it's time to get some red in there for sure. So, um <laughs> What, what, just first of all, um, if you, maybe if you want to just talk about what you guys do covering the Utes. I know you have some websites and podcasts. Yeah, so UteZone.com is part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Uh, kind of a recruiting-based site, but where there's demand for more coverage than just recruiting, we've expanded into a lot of different aspects. Uh, myself, I mostly do... <clears throat> football breakdowns and cover a little bit of basketball and then this year started covering lacrosse for the youths um which was really fun that's a really fun beat uh i like the sport a lot it's young and, and new here in utah but i think there's a lot of potential for growth um you know and then we do have multiple podcasts there's the youth on Blockcast. uh we have a subscribers only podcast called uh, break time with with ftb who is steve bartle who's the managing editor he kind of runs Runs the site along with our publisher, Dan Sorensen, and, and then we have Michelle who does pretty much everything for us from, you know, writing to, uh, she has a podcast she hosts called Ladies, Lady and the Champs. Um, she does, you know, a lot of our video stuff. She does all of our, our gamers and, and all of our game reviews and, and also does all of our senior features. So it's a pretty wide variety of, of content and articles and, you know, we just like it because it's a lot of fun and, and we work with great people. Yeah, that's awesome. It's good that you guys enjoy it, and it sounds like you enjoy covering the Utes for sure. Um, so, Michelle, um, how, how did you start getting into um, covering the Utes? <laughs> um, so I never had aspirations of being a sports reporter at all. Um, I always liked watching sports and being a spectator, and uh, I always – understood what was going on very well uh, and and would like read books on how how plays work and, and some of that kind of stuff but never never had a strong desire to be a sports reporter. I actually went to school to maybe get into law enforcement or be a lawyer or something something along those lines and then uh, tried it out 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 of college and Decided I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. Uh, it's an interesting kind of like side hobby, but it's not not really what I wanted to do. Uh, and I've always been good at writing. And you know, some family friends just kind of mentioned like, "Hey, maybe maybe you should talk about sports and and some of that kind of stuff." So uh, I one day I went up to Bill Riley and <laughs> I was like, "How how do I become like the next Aaron Andrews?" which is maybe a bit of a lofty goal there, uh, but he he allowed me to come and intern uh, on his radio show, and at the time he was partnered with 
Hans Olsen. So Bill and Hans were were kind of my first mentors, and then I kind of found my way to to Dan Sorensen and Ute Zone, and I've I've been there. This will be my seventh year if I'm if I'm still here and we're still playing football and and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's kind of how I got into it. But yeah, you mentioned the the, the season this fall. I, I definitely hope um, we have a season. I I, I heard the the Pac-12 is considering because California made a, a law saying that they might not have sport uh, college sports in California in the fall. So, um, but I've heard the Pac-12's plan is to maybe just take out all the the non-conference games and just like play just all conference. How do you think that would in, impact the youth season for better or worse if it was just all Pac-12 games? I, you know, it's that's so hard to say. I, I think in some ways it'll make it more challenging, just because I'm trying to remember who is on the schedule and who isn't on the schedule. I think they were kind of going to avoid some of the harder schools, so I mean that puts them in a position, especially where they're going to be a little bit younger and greener on defense, where they're going to maybe have to go against some tougher teams. But at the same time, the the great equalizer here is that everybody's kind of suffering through through the same thing, not being able to practice, not being able to really see what they have, not being able to really evaluate, you know, talent. And, it, I mean, every year every team has to replace something or someone, right? So it's not not like nobody nobody's kind of going unscathed in, in this aspect. Now you can't always argue, you know, some, some teams have to replace a whole lot more than other teams. And, you know, Utah Utah's kind of in that position this, this year where they're maybe having to replace a little bit more than what they're, they've been used to the last couple of years. Uh, but it, it has interesting potential. Uh, I, think, I think any conference, if, if they go to that full, you know, everybody's, everybody's just playing within, within the conference and we're not doing the out-of-conference games, uh, it, it makes it makes it compelling in the sense that you literally play everyone in your conference, and it kind of eliminates the debate as to who's the best in the conference uh, because everybody does play each other. So, so that's an interesting aspect of it as well. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know how positively or negatively really that affects Utah. But I, I will say, like it's. To me, it's more interesting looking at a school like BYU or Notre Dame, where they're independent and they're not affiliated with a conference. What what you do if all these conferences decide to play within conference and eliminate that out of conference element? That that to me is probably the the most interesting thing that that potentially is going to come up uh, if teams do decide to go that route, or if conferences decide to go that route. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I I had some fun writing some like this imaginary shortened schedule articles, and BYU's was definitely the the toughest one because it's like they they aren't they're not in a conference, so like what are they gonna do? Like, I, I, my guess is they would play a lot of independents. And um, as far as the Utes, I I agree with you. I think in some ways it'll be hard because they're replacing. I mean, a really good quarterback, running back. I mean, you guys sent seven players to the NFL that were really productive and and we're going to have to replace those with other guys. Um, just looking at the schedule, it looks like they, I mean, 
they have California, USC, Washington State, uh, and Washington, UCLA, Arizona, Oregon State, Arizona State, and Colorado. So, I mean, if, if it was a shortened schedule, then I guess they just played those teams. But if, mm-hmm. if they somehow played all of them, they, then they'd play 11 of them. But I, I, I definitely think the youth benefit from their non-conference. I mean, their non-conference is going to get tougher when, with Florida coming in. But this year with, I mean, UIU, Montana State, and Wyoming, I mean, I would I would venture to say that, that, that those are three just three wins you can add. And so... Like a nine and three season definitely would look better than like a five and three season if it was shortened. Or there's more probably potential for losses in the Pac-12 where you're playing more difficult teams for sure. Absolutely. I think BYU is always going to be a difficult game, not necessarily from a talent perspective, but just from an emotional perspective and from what it means to the University of Utah. I know that they've reeled off nine in a row against them, but that doesn't mean that that game doesn't matter to them and that they don't mm-hmm. talk about it and plan on beating BYU every year, and, and <clears throat> nobody wants to be the team that loses that game, you know, so, so whether whether intrinsic or extrinsic, the, the pressure does increase on them. Um, I think the biggest thing is that you're swapping out Wyoming and Montana State for Oregon and Stanford, and those mm-hmm. are going to be two of the more talented teams in the north. Stanford brings back a lot more experience than Oregon does. But as we've seen, you know, in the last few years, the Oregon recruiting classes are through the roof. And that was evident last year, I think, in the in the actual championship game where Utah had the more experienced team. Utah probably had the better players. I mean, they think seven in the NFL, like you said. And Oregon just so much talent out there that, you know, one, you know, a one-off game, Oregon had the edge. Now, you play that game ten times. I don't know that that's always going to be the result. And, and who knows what a season brings, but I think that's where – you know, the, the challenge of playing 11 Pac-12 games. And even as the schedules are set up now, playing nine games is so difficult because you've got teams that are, you know, super far apart in terms of, uh, you know, resources or, or recruits or even coaching staffs. I, I think Utah's put themselves ahead of the pack, you know, for the most part. And if you're looking at the, the top programs in the Pac-12 as of the last few years, it's, Oregon, Washington, Utah, and then I think you probably throw USC in there just because they still do have so much talent. Um, you know, it's the rest of them that, that are trying to scrap. But you get a team like Oregon State, for example, which has been mediocre to bad for the last three or four years, and then last year Jonathan, Jonathan Smith turned them around. So there's no days off in the Pac-12. It's, it's, it's always a competitive conference, and if you start going 11 games, that just makes it even more difficult. I think what it does is it makes it much more entertaining for fans. Like Michelle said, the biggest thing is that you find out who really is the best team. Um, mm-hmm. Not the most talented or, or the one that has you know, the best scheme or, 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 or can, you know, do the, gets the best of the matchups, but it's really the best team. It, it's, it's almost like a playoff in, in, in essence. And so I think that aspect has to be appealing. Um, I think the difficulty is, is when do they play? Uh, like you said, California is, is doing some things that make it seem like it probably won't be until the spring. And if it is in the spring, how does it affect Utah? Because we're not playing ball up here in the winter, you know. Um, and, and Michelle and I both have experience with that kind of thing. And it's, it's really, really difficult on a team to play in cold weather when you're starting out. So does that mean that they have to play most of their games on the road? Are they going to be in Arizona for most of the games? How does that all work out? So 
there's still so much up in the air with, with everything that's going going on, and so much that can change just in the next two months alone. Um, I think you'll know a lot more about how the season will be by July 1st. I, I don't think that's like a drop dead date for anybody, but I just think that we'll have better data. We'll be we'll have more understanding of how everything will work going into the fall by that point in time. Yeah, I, I agree. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the whole sports landscape. And I'm, I'm definitely interested in college football because that's a big part of sports in our state and, and generates a lot of revenue. So I'm hoping that there will be something this fall. And and you mentioned, um, so yeah, the, the Pac-12, I, um, I think the one thing that might be a little bit difficult for them as far as getting teams into the playoff is just so competitive. Like we haven't like we almost need a, a a zero or one loss team, but I mean, there's been a lot of two loss teams just because I mean, there's so many good teams that you can flip up a couple of times. And I mean, the Rose Bowl is still still a, a respectable bowl, but it's just um, it will be interesting to see what um, Pac-12 if when we'll get like a kind of a Pete Carroll USC team or like a Chip Kelly Oregon team that can break through and, and make a big run. And, and Utah was close to doing that last year. I mean, if they hadn't um, lost to USC or, or even, I mean, the Pac-12 title game, if they win that, then they're a really legitimate, um, they have a legitimate case to make it to the college football playoff over or, over Oregon, or, or I mean, over um, Oklahoma. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think the, the, Bottom line with all of that would have been that you would have faced LSU just the same as everybody else did and gotten steamrolled. That team was yeah. above and beyond everyone else. Um, you know, the, the Pac-12 dilemma is what it is, and, and I think what what there are people out there that, that can make claims about the Pac-12 being, you know, from a, a an outsider's perspective of it being a down league or a down year, it's still incredibly competitive, and that's the biggest issue is that you're not going to get that cream of the crop team. I think if you had to pick one, it'll be intriguing to see what USC does this year. Um, they do return quite a bit of talent. I, I'm not still not confident in Clay Helton as a coach, but he's made some really strong additions to his staff, and they're cleaning up on the recruiting trail right now. They're headed for a top five spot. Uh, the other program that I think is, is rising is the Ducks. Uh, I was more impressed by Mario Cristobal last year. Um, you know, they do what they do on the recruiting trail, and, and they're going to get those guys. You know, the Noah Sewells of the world that are five-star recruits and, and love the flash and glamour of, of the Oregon program. But I just, you know, I don't have a lot of confidence in Crystal Ball so far in terms of being a great in-game coach and, and, and managing things from year to year. What's it going to be like as, as they have expectations and how are they going to replace, you know, uh, Justin Herbert, who it's not like he was lighting the world on fire last year, but he was still a talented guy and, and – you know, when we talk about talent, it's the ability to do things, right? So it doesn't mean that he's consistent. It doesn't mean that he's executing at the highest level, but he can throw a 65-yard pass, and to people, that's important. Um, so I think that that kind of stuff, you know, all goes into the factor of what the Pac-12 is. In the national state, I don't know how much that matters this year. I don't know that we have a, a playoff this year, um, just because everything is going to be so far off script especially if the Pac-12 does end up starting in the spring like we kind of think it might. Yeah, it would be interesting to see see what happens there. And, and, and I mean, I, I, I know a lot of us listening love sports, and, and I hope we have some type of sports because 
mean, lately we, we've been watching, like, there's the horse tournament that the jazz player Mike Conley was in that won it. And then there's, I think, the Korean ba- Baseball League in the middle of the night. But I think we're all hoping for some real, real sports, just like some college football, some basketball. So um, hopefully that pans out. Um, and you made a good point about Oregon. I mean, I, I feel like they always have a marquee teams. Like this year, they're they're supposed to host Ohio State. It's just a matter of being able to win those games. I think they barely lost to Auburn last year. So it'll just be interesting to see. I mean, they have talent. It'll just be interesting to see how they dominate. With, with Chris Peterson gone, I think they Oregon seems like to be the top of the of the North Division. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens there. But um, maybe we can move on to the – I was really interested in the NFL draft this year, how the state of Utah um, had eight players in the draft. and One of them was the quarterback from my um, Aggies, Jordan Love, in the first round. But then there's seven um, Utes that were drafted. And I think total, that, that, that was pretty high on the list. Like it was up there with the SEC teams as far as number of teams that were drafted from – from a school, um, but out of all the guys that were drafted, like John Penasini, Zach Moss, Julian Blackman, and yeah, there's so many of them, but um, who do you guys think might be the next star in at the NFL? I I personally think it's, gosh, that's such a hard question. I, I think there are three guys that really could make a case. Uh, Jalen Johnson is one. Um, I think Zach Moss is another that could really bring some star power there. And, you know, Julian Blackman, if he gets healthy, I think could be a really great safety in the NFL and and a guy that turns heads and and makes plays. Uh, You know, that I I possibly, you know, Bradley and I could, could be an exciting Ed Rusher to watch in the NFL, depending on how he's used um, and utilized in the defense. So I, there, there's a couple of people that really could be kind of exciting to watch. I think I think it probably happens either for Jalen or Zach the fastest. Uh, but but there's some guys that could have you know a really long career in the NFL. And I know I actually got to to kind of do the whole NFL run process of, of evaluating and whatnot. Um, I, I was at the senior bowl in January and then I was at the NFL combine in February. Um, and I, there, there's, there's a buzz around university of Utah and, and their players. And it's, it's, yeah. So, uh, you know, talking, talking with, you know, all these NFL people and, and getting to know some of the scouts and, and telling them, you know, who I cover and, and some of that kind of stuff. It's it's so weird because I I know and Brian knows and I think I think within the state of Utah we, we all know and it doesn't matter who you cheer for, whether it's the Aggies or BYU or, or whoever, or if you cheer for the youth, I I think we all are very well aware of what Kyle has done and and how how much talent that they have put in the NFL. But it's and the NFL people are very well aware of that. Utah's becoming a destination place. I I know for a fact that if they had held their pro day, they were expecting 85-ish 
people from the NFL to show up to their pro day and watch these guys work out. Um, and that's scouts from every NFL team as well as GMs and head coaches that they were expecting to host if things hadn't been shut down, which is incredible. Uh, but so it, it, Utah's not such a secret with the NFL, but nationally I feel like they're a secret. And, and I, I get some of that impression from the time that I was working with the Salt Lake Stallions and, you know, we had some of these guys from smaller schools on our team and, and they're doing the, well, who's Utah? What does Utah do? Who have they put in the NFL? And you start listing off guys like Eric Weddle and Steve Smith and Alex Smith and, you know, some of those guys. And it's like the light bulb goes on, but they didn't realize that a lot of these players, these guys that they've looked up to played at Utah. And then, even just taking some of the guys around, like, the, the facilities that they have at Utah. I had one guy comment, wow, I I didn't realize that you guys had it like that. I thought you were just a small kind of nothing school. And at one time, Utah was that. But they've grown exponentially. And, and like I said, the NFL's respected them probably for, gosh, 20, 25 years now as far as being a good place to go and get NFL talent. But it's so funny that in the college football world and even on more of like a national scale, that's not so readily recognized. But Utah has been up there in the amounts of kids that have been taken over the years. We've constantly been in in the top rankings with those SEC schools, with Ohio State. Uh, but, But people, I think people are just now starting to wake up to that and realizing that. And it's, it's so interesting when you're kind of on the inside of that, but then hearing these outside opinions. Going back to the youth football, what what's like maybe I know we have Florida coming up, but what's one team that you maybe like to see Utah um, have a series with? Um, like for me, I, I don't know um, that there's one that stands out that they don't already have on the schedule. Uh, LSU is a team that I've always wanted to see. Utah play more so because they want to go to Baton Rouge and experience what, what the what the atmosphere there is and and you know like I'm not the kind of person that that will say no to a good time or good food and I I was lucky enough to be able to attend the Sugar Bowl in 2009 and and I fell in love with Louisiana there and there was some connection for a while with Utah players in fact there's one on the roster right now with Evan Brumfield who's, who's from Louisiana you know and so they've been able to bring a few in and and some. With mixed results, you know, I think it's it's different. You know, you look at the, the three kids from Hallandale that, that graduated this year, Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss, and Damar Simpkins, and, and I think they're an example of what kids from from that area can do if they come out here and have success. They put the program on a next, on another level. And, you know, those guys, I, you know, Tyler didn't have a lot of time, a lot of good offers coming out of high school. I think that was by far his best, but he was a really talented player, as, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, he, he was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country last year. Um, Zach had the one big offer to Miami, and, and Damari was kind of the same way as Tyler, a little overlooked, and, and they decided that they wanted to go make an impact somewhere and came to Utah and did that. And so um, I think getting back to it, I think LSU is, is just the one that I would point out and say that's the one that I really would love love to see, um, you know, and it's 10 years or 12 years or however many years away. Um but that's 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 I think indicative of, of what Utah's done. You know, you talked about with the, the urban and the Kyle early years and, and where it's come from there. Uh, they've now built themselves into a recognized 
a brand. And, and like Michelle said, I think it, it's there's been bits and pieces, and I think for a long time a lot of scouts and, and maybe even national media folks thought it was just kind of Utah getting lucky. Uh, but now the people who really are, are decision makers, you know, LSU, Florida, Arkansas, all on the schedule upcoming, those are three SEC power opponents. Um, they're all recognizing the impact that Utah has, and, and they want to play Utah. Uh, I think in part because they think that they're competitive enough team to give them a good game, and they also think that there's you know potential for, for Utah fans to travel and, and be a part of the activities and everything like that. And so I think all of that plays into the brand that Utah's built and and how it's it's expanding. And and I think you know you see what Jordan Love did in terms of getting drafted in the first round and. He struggled a little bit last year, but um, I think he's landed in a good spot. And he was, without a doubt, the storyline of the draft going to the Packers. Uh, I, I think what it's done is it's just exposed a lot of people to what's going on in Utah and, and what's being built here in terms of football. It's a great state for football, and, and more people should be paying attention. And so I think that's, you know, when we talk about scheduling, I don't know that there's necessarily, outside of LSU, a team that I think I, I have to see Utah play. Um, what I do want to see is this continued respect from, from outside uh, um, programs of, of what Utah and what the state of Utah has and, and to continue to schedule as such and want to come here and play things. I was going to say, I, I just will piggyback off of Brian a little bit on on people are now maybe starting to take the state of Utah a little more seriously as far as football is concerned. I, I again, finding it so interesting you you look at the history of college the like last oh thirty five years of college football. Utah's played an integral integral part of what we've seen in the college football landscape. When BYU won that national championship in nineteen eighty four, that's when the BCS started because those big boys didn't want another small team sneaking into the landscape. And then you turn around twenty twenty ish years later and the University of Utah thwarts the system, and now you see a flood of other small schools get into those high-ranking games and be in the conversation to be the national champion because they run the table and they're undefeated. And it results in a college football playoff system and and conference realignment. I, I don't think people are aware of, some of the big major shifts that we've seen in college football and how it's played and how we determine who the best team is in the country, it's all run through the state of Utah. Utah is a football state. We love football here, and we've, we've really, really influenced how things are done in the college football world, and nobody's really aware of that. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you say that because, when people think about Utah, they probably think, oh, it's like a basketball, it's like the jazz, right. but we, we, everybody's really passionate. And um, I, think, I think you're right. I think that um, football is a really big part of this state, and, and the successes in the past 35 years have, have really created passionate fan bases and, and some good rivalries there. So speaking of the rivalries, um, so I guess we can talk about BYU for a minute. And I know that like the Utes have dominated. They've won the last nine games. But we've seen BYU beat some, some, I mean, some Power 5 teams. Like they've had, I mean, they've had their struggles um, like 2017. They've turned it around and it seemed like they can beat 
um, some good Power 5 teams. What do you think has been the key to the Utes winning all those games in the Holy War? I think it's that they know what they're dealing with. I think I think they know that, you know, BYU wants to win that game, you know, whereas, you know, a USC maybe doesn't necessarily know what they're stepping into. You know, it's not it's not a familiar opponent. Uh, but I think I think the advantage that Utah has is that they they know BYU because they play them all the time, um, and they know that they're good enough to beat anyone on on a given day. If you don't bring your A game, they're going to beat you. Which is, I don't, I don't want to say that Utah's always brought their A game to that to that game to that. There's been some really interesting ways that this game has been won over the last decade, but but it seems like they've always done just enough. And I think I think on the flip side though for BYU, you, you when you want something so bad, sometimes you try too hard, right? And so you you do you kind of get in your own way and you you make mistakes that you know looking back. If I just played a little bit looser, if I had just, you know, stayed calm in the moment and not tried to push this too hard, you know, this play maybe would have ended up a little bit differently. And, of course, you know, I, I have to give Utah props as well. The, the recruiting end of it has completely changed and flipped for these two teams. And there's just – there's no two ways about it. Now, Utah – Utah, and, again, Utah's smart, though. Kyle's smart. They realize that – just because you do have more talent doesn't mean a less talented team can't beat you. And so it's it's kind of this weird mixture of things going on. But I, you know, it it's going to happen. Utah fans, I'm so sorry. It is. It's going to happen one of these days. Utah's going to slip up, and BYU's going to beat them. And it's going to be very painful for the Utah side of things. It's going to be pure euphoria down south. Uh, but I, I would, I would prepare yourself for that. It, it will eventually happen. I don't know when it will happen. You know, anyone's guess is is as good as mine. But but for now, Utah Utah has been on the right side of recruiting. You know, they've they've played well enough to beat them. BYU's played poor enough that they've lost. Um, but at some time. At some time, that, that's going to flip a little bit, and, and BYU might get a win or two here. Yeah, that that makes that makes sense. I think, um, yeah, we've seen a lot of, um, I mean, streaks eventually have to come to an end. And, and and I guess that brings my next point. I know this has been really a, a point of debate between, um, like, Ute fans and Aggie fans, but... I'm um, just looking at the schedule. I, I know we just scheduled a two for one with Oregon, but it sounds like um, we've tried to schedule something with Utah. And it hasn't worked out. And my my perspective, and may, maybe you'll have a different perspective, is that um, Utah. They, it seems like they want to either play a big time school like Florida, or like if they're not playing a big time school, they they might want to have like a, an easy an easier game, like an FCS game, or or Wyoming or something like that, but um, it just seemed like, like like you said, um, sports is so tough in Utah that that and BYU is kind of a, a team that the state they the, they want to see the Holy War, so maybe that's kind of why Utah State's been left out of the rivalry with Utah is because just because there's higher priorities on their on their schedule. 
I think it's lack of space more than anything. It's just <clears throat> Utah is, is still trying to manage the nine-game conference schedule, and, and like we talked about, it's just a brutal stretch. There's not another major conference in the country that's playing nine games. Uh, you know, like Big Ten, SEC, they're all on the eight-game schedule, and, and for good reason, because they, they want to keep more open dates. And so now you're looking at adding – BYU and Utah State and having two rivalry games in addition to your, your nine-game schedule, so you only get one, you know, people talk a lot about the ABC opponents that Chris, Chris Hill talked about, but let's let's say mid-tier, because I, I consider that both BYU and Utah State would be an upper tier, not necessarily because the talent level is equal, but because it's a rivalry. And like you said, that, that game up in Logan where Utah State beat Utah, and, and even the next year after where it was a close affair, you know, Utah State's turned a corner where it's not just like the little baby brother out there, you know, tripping all over itself and, and dribbling down its shirt. They're capable and they have talent, and they're producing that talent year after year. We saw even last year where a couple former youths went up there, Fiosi Mariner and, and Taylor Brepp, and really excelled for the Aggies and were big contributors. And I, I do expect that to continue to some degree with guys who aren't getting playing time at Utah, especially with the Gary Anderson influence up there. Um, but it's just that's just too much. Like uh, this is the part about football that I always try to convey to people as somebody who's played the sport at a higher level, and, and not saying that you know that makes me some sort of an expert or anything like that. But the day to day and the week to week grind is really hard, um, and and Utah makes it look easy, but they put in so much time, effort, and work to, to make it look that way. And, and fans just kind of show up on Saturday and they see the results on the field, and they don't understand everything that they went through in the course of the week or in the course of the month before that to, to make it look so easy on the field. And so I think that's the difficulty with trying to schedule everybody in state. I, you know, this is, honestly, I think the way that this season is shaping out, this might be kind of the year to do it where it's just, mm-hmm. hey, let's have a round-robin tournament in the fall where we know they're not going to be playing any games because the Pac-12 is not going to be able to play until the, until the spring. So let's just have like a you know a, a like a preseason type thing where it's not you know sanctioned or anything like that and just invite all the teams up and let's do BYU, Utah State, Utah, Weber State, Dixie State, SUU, and let's see what happens you know and, and it's at least some a way to get those kids because I think Utah is different than a lot of states like California and New York where they're so population dense and so the threat of the pandemic is so much heavier there. Utah is actually in really good shape. I, I, like, we're still dealing with it, but people are, are taking care of their, their business. You know, the hospitals are not overrun. You know, our, our numbers look really solid, and, and credit goes to, to people here for, for doing what they were asked to do and staying home and, you know, washing their hands and everything else. And I think because of that, it allows us to be a little bit more flexible with what we're doing. And so I think there's more potential to get students on campus in the fall, um, you know, especially with the same – uh, regulations or, or whatever new regulations that come up, and, and so because of that, I think there's opportunity. This is this is our experimental year. This is our opportunity to, to try and take all those crazy ideas. Like we tried the Beehive tournament, and that one was kind of a fail because it was set up to make money. At this point, like we're kind of giving a free slate, so why not try like a 16 tournament here in the state of Utah, or or you know a six or a five game schedule or whatever it would need to be, and. I'm spitballing here, so I'm sure somebody will realize that I'm way wrong with it. But um, that's just, you know, that's 
my thinking is that if you're not going to be able to play games in the spring as it looks right now, then maybe you can do something in state and see, you know, see how that pans out. But in the meantime, and going forward, it's just going to be really hard as long as Utah continues to play that nine-game schedule to, to, to work in everybody in the state. And I know that they've tried and they're trying to. The, the, hard to, the difficulty with Utah State is that they don't want to do a two-for-one, and, and I understand where they're coming from with that. Like, it, you know, nobody wants to have to concede something to, to an in-state rival, um, but it, it just, it's just it's just so hard for Utah because that game is not just, you know, a, a, a pay-for-play game. It's, it's a, a rivalry game, and it's intense, and, you know, it, it comes with a lot of uh, emotion. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Like, yeah, I can see, I can see from Utah's perspective where they're coming, and and that that would be awesome to have a, a tournament. I know we had the Beehive Classic, and um, it would be interesting to see. There's a couple years I think when the Utes versus um, BYU ends. I think their contract with us ends, so um, I'm hoping that there will be some form of a in-state game, even if it's like SUU versus Utah or, or something like that. It'll, I mean, it's always nice to see some in-state games. Yeah, I I mean honestly I would love I would love to start seeing a few more in state games on on the out of conference schedule. But I, I think it's going to take BYU has to loosen up on Utah and you know, allow them to maybe play another another team, whether it's Utah State, Southern Utah, Dixie, Weber, whoever. Um uh, and I know, I know there's been some like weird tension there about about dropping the the big rivalry game between Utah and BYU. But as long as Utah's only got three non-conference games to choose from, that's just that's what it's going to have to. You, they're they're going to have to take a break from that one in order to bring someone else in state on the schedule. Uh, just because, like Brian said, you know. Even it, even though it's maybe a lesser rivalry or a more friendly rivalry, it's still a rivalry, and there's still a palpable energy to it. Um, and and that's what makes some of those games, you know, difficult to play. And it it does. It takes a lot out of you. And then you go into a nine-game conference schedule against teams that I mean, really. On paper, there any team can beat any other team in the Pac-12. Like that's just it's a lot, and so you know, I I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I I would like to see BYU traded out for Utah State here in the not too distant future. Just just because I I want to see something different, and it's not that I don't like the the Holy War. It's a fun, intense game too, but it's sometimes nice to see something different as well. Um, as far as the foot, just to wrap up with football, um, I, I'm kind of curious to see because with the Holy War, we have like the Kafusi, um, guy Devin Kafusi came to Utah, and I think we had the Utah guy DH uh, Devonta Henry Cole going to BYU. I'm I'm kind of curious to see how that will impact the balance of power in the rivalry if any of those guys will will um have a positive impact for the their their respective new teams. Uh, I don't know what you guys think about those guys. Yeah, a DHC is a guy who just was gonna get buried under the roster and he had a couple opportunities last year to perform and it was hit or miss and, and Utah expects consistency out of everybody and so if you aren't consistent when you get your opportunities, uh, you know that's 
they're not going to just keep giving them to you, especially at a position like the running back, uh, where there's just so much talent and ability there already, and they have guys who are being consistent. It's not maybe not quite as explosive as DHC was, but um, you know, I, I think Devin Brumfield is going to show a lot of people what you know what he's capable of and, and how good a back he can be next year, and, and they're going to mix in TJ Green and Kai Bernard and and uh, Jordan Wilmore with change of pace and do a lot of good stuff with that. Um, you know, Kafuse, I think, has depth to a position that, that has been pretty strong for Utah in years past. And, you know, he was very adamant about why he was transferring because he felt he would get, get developed better at Utah. And, and I agree with that. I just, BYU is in a situation where they don't have the athletes across the board right now um, to, to be able to develop guys individually to each position. They have to move guys to where they think they can help the team the most so they can be competitive. And, and that's the difficulty of, of building a program like BYU is, where you're trying to compete nationally and, and you don't have the same resources as, as the teams that you're trying to compete with. And, and so, you know, they, BYU kind of put themselves in a tough spot with a lot of that kind of thing. And, and, and most of it, in my opinion, is administrative. Uh, I think they could do whatever they wanted to do if they would just back off some some archaic ideals that they have in their administrative areas over there. Uh, but that's a much longer conversation. Uh, I think overall, it's just Kofusi helps Utah, and, and I think Gage is a great land for BYU, and I think it's better spots for them. But in the grand scheme, it's business as usual. You know, this is a battle of brothers, and it, it's 40, 40 miles apart, 40 minutes apart. You know, it's it's always going to be like this. It's the most unique rivalry in the country in that respect. Uh, there are no two rival schools that are as close as those two, and um, there's always going to be some intermingling, and, and you know, it's funny because Kofusi's become such a brand name at BYU. I'm old enough to remember when Kofusi was a brand name at Utah. So, uh, you know, this stuff is cyclical and it just kind of moves around, and it, it, you know, it can keep going. So it'll be fun to watch and, and adds a little bit of intrigue for us to all talk about as the game is played in the fall. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see. Um, that definitely, if that game's played, that'll be a big topic of conversation there. And and yeah, both guys seem like they'll they'll, they'll make their impact um, at their new schools. Um, but yeah, those are mainly all the questions I had. I guess the one thing I wanted to ask before we wrap up is if there's anything else you want to add, maybe make your pitch to maybe some of us fans who are like uh, don't really have a team, or maybe we. Um, just follow the school that we went to, like the Aggies or BYU. Like, why should we follow Utah and kind of become a, a, a fan of of Utah sports? I, I guarantee you, Michelle has a better answer than I do. <laughs> uh, I I would say it's because it's fun. Like, it's it's so much fun. It it's it's such a fun. And maybe this is just like being more on on the media and the reporting side and and you have to take a little bit more of a neutral stance um you know i i went to utah i'm a utah alum obviously i want utah to win every single game just from that standpoint but working on the media side of it you understand that every single team puts in that same kind of work that you're watching you know whatever team it is that you're covering and so there's I when I see amazing things happen for other teams and especially the other in-state teams, just because there's a little bit of familiarity there, right? Like Small Lake City is 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 a term thrown around a lot, and and for good reason. It's because everybody knows everybody, 
you know, every team is sharing players with other teams and, and there's, there's all this cross-contamination going on. Um, but, but it's easy to get excited when BYU has a big win. Like, I, I was shocked and amazed and so happy for them when they beat USC last year. Um, you know, Utah State, when they were playing Michigan State, like, I was cheering so hard for them to, to pull that one out, and they were so close to doing it. Um, so it, it's just, it's fun. It's fun watching teams that there are other teams that there are there's some familiarity with, whether, you know, and one of your players transferred to that school or you got a player from that school or, you know, one of your coaches took a head, a head coaching job there or, you know, whatever it may be. And then, again, if, if you have that little bit of background as to what kind of work it takes that these kids put in between school and the workouts and the film study and, you know, whatever else it is that they do in order to prepare themselves and, and be eligible to play, it, it makes seeing their successes that much more exciting. Um, and and that, that's why I think – and also because football is a very short season, right? So your team, your respective team only has 12 guaranteed games. And then if they're lucky, they, they get to do postseason bowl games, championship games, that kind of stuff. But that's not guaranteed stuff. So why would you not watch as much football as you can um, by taking an interest in either other teams in your conference or, or you know, the other local in-state teams? But, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for taking the time to talk with me. I, I, I think that you fans will definitely appreciate your takes as they as they do on on your website and podcast. And, and I just am grateful that you took the time to, to kind of shed some light on one of the big um, athletic teams and programs in the state. Yeah, anytime, man. All right, thanks. I hope you guys have a good day and survive this um, stay-at-home stuff. All right, you as well. All right, thanks. Bye. Thehivesports.com has all the buzz on sports in the Beehive State, covering prep, college, pro, and church sports. No way, really? Okay, maybe not that last one. If you want to stay in the know about all things Jazz, Cougars, Aggies, and Utes, then this is the site for you. Thehivesports.com. We may even feature your high school, so check us out today at Thehivesports.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out Thehivesports.com because we got the buzz.